We've been saying that to be a disciple is to be a student of Jesus. It's to follow around after Jesus so that you learn to do what Jesus can do or you learn to become what Jesus is. To be a disciple is to be Jesus' student. It's to have Jesus as a teacher. In one sense, all of us are students. Now, we don't like to hear that because in America, the more educated a person becomes, the more they like to think of themselves as intellectually independent. We like to believe, the more educated we get, that we can read other people and listen to other people, but we're smart enough to make up our own minds and be the person that we want to be. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. I'm reading some stuff on the side now about neuroscience and how the personality is shaped, and I am struck again and again with how fluid the personality is. We once thought that you were born with personality traits that were fixed, and you just had them for the rest of your life. What we now know is that the way a person acts and lives is shaped largely by their environment or by their culture. So the people that we hang around and the culture that we get in shapes the kind of person we become, our value systems and all. That being said, I would like to ask a few questions of you and I'd just like after the service is over, if you would take them home and think about them during the week, you can't possibly really do them justice right now. One question is, who then is your teacher? Who's teaching you? I don't mean who do you have as a professor, that's an instructor. I don't mean who are you reading, that's an author. I mean, who is the person rubbing off on you? Whose assumptions are you buying into? You may not be able to give them a name. You may say, I don't really have anyone. I haven't really asked someone to mentor me. And that's okay because teachers are not always invited into our lives. We just watch people sometimes from a distance and we learn to live and we learn to act like them. We value what they value even without them saying to us, you should value this. We just watch what they're doing and we like it and we start buying into that. And there is no escaping this, you guys. There is no getting away from this. We just have to admit that it's happening to all of us. And so the question is, who are the people who are rubbing off on me. Their thoughts, yes, sure, but their mannerisms and their assumptions, their ways of life, their value systems, the stuff that they think is important. These are not people who tell me how to do something. These are people who tell me what needs to be done. <laughs> who are they? Second question, what are they teaching you? This is not always introduced. They never say, now today I want you to learn this. They just live in one direction for a long time. And the more you get around them, you just start picking that stuff up. So ask yourself, what is it that I'm picking up from the people that are teaching me? 
Some of you may have to ask the second question first. You may have to ask yourself, what am I actually learning from people? What kind of person am I becoming? And then back up to the first question and say, who are the people that are shaping that? Now the thing to keep in mind is that your teacher is not always the person you ask to be your teacher. Your teacher is the one who is actually informing the way that you live. And then the third question. Are they right? (laughs) Who is my teacher? And what are they teaching me? And are they right? What if they're not? And I'm buying it anyway. Some years ago, I read a story of a really bad school where all the students were getting ready to graduate. This is 24 hours before graduation. They're all in one room trying on their cap and gown. Teacher's there. Principal steps in to give this last-minute pep talk. Tell them how they're going to get on the dais tomorrow and get their diploma and go out because they have mastered the course. They've covered all the material. They will all graduate except for Tom. He tried and tried and got every answer wrong. And so um, they've decided, the, the leaders, that Tom cannot graduate. But the students love him. And so when the principal gets into the room to give the pep talk, as one voice, all of the graduating class starts chanting, Let Tom graduate! Let Tom graduate! Well, the principal knows that this cannot be ignored. And so... He decides to give Tom a second chance. He pulls him up in front of the class and says to him, Tom, you got a lot of friends and I really want to see you go. But he said, I'm going to give you one last chance. Here it is. Get the answer right. You'll graduate. Get the answer wrong. And we're going to hold you back. I'm ready. He says, I got five apples in one hand. Let's say I have another five apples in the other hand. Tom. How many apples do I have? Tom says, Ten? And as one voice, the class chants, Give Tom another chance! Give Tom another chance! (laughs) What do you do? when the whole class has it wrong. What do you do when the teachers are wrong, when the principal is wrong, when the students are wrong, and they're the ones being promoted? And the only guy with the right answer is being held back. This is how some of us feel. Is it not? We go into a culture and all of the answers are wrong, and we stand up. And we say the right answer. And they keep promoting other people. They look at us as if we just had the wrong answer. And we think to ourselves, no, wait a minute. I know this is right. But society, the system, the people in charge, the ones who are in control, they keep promoting things they should not promote. And they keep holding back things that should be promoted. What do you do when the whole culture is wrong? Enter Jesus. 
Sermon on the Mount, it's like Jesus goes into a class. It's full of people, religious people and irreligious people, and he starts talking in answers, and his answers are right, but everyone looks at him, including the religious people, as if he were wrong. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they possess the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn because they are the most comfortable. And blessed are the ones who are meek because they are the strength of the earth. And blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, for they're the only ones who are full. Blessed are the merciful, for they get a lot of breaks. Blessed are those who are pure in their heart, for even now they can see God. And blessed are those who make peace because they are the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. For so did they of the false prophets. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. And you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hill. We can't hide you. Everyone sees you. So, let your light shine before all people. And when they see it, they will glorify God who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of things. One, he is not talking about righteousness. He is talking about happiness. The word he uses is blessed, not righteous. He doesn't say righteous are the poor in spirit. He said happy are the poor in spirit. The ones who are meek are the happiest creatures alive. The ones who are always hungry, starving for righteousness because they never see it, they never get it are the most contented people in the room. The ones who are merciful, the ones people take advantage of, are the ones who get all the breaks. He is not talking about who's going to go to heaven. He's talking about who will actually like heaven when they get there. 
I can't find anywhere in the Sermon on the Mount where this becomes the litmus test for getting into heaven. No, no, this is what legalists tell us. They tell us if you don't become these things, then you're not really righteous and you can't go to heaven. No, that's not what he says. The word is happy. He's not talking about your righteousness. He's talking about your happiness. He's saying if you do these things, you will be really well adjusted. Do you think Jesus knows what he's talking about? Because he's saying some absurd things. He's saying the people that are spiritually bankrupt are in fact the ones who possess the kingdom. See, he's not saying they are the ones who go to heaven. He's saying they are the ones who possess heaven in them. Now, Right now, even while they are poor in spirit, which, which leads to the second thing, he's not giving us imperatives. He's not saying, you should be poor in spirit. You should be meek. You're not hungry enough. You need to work on that. <laughs> You're not merciful. What's the matter with you? He's not doing this. There are no imperatives. Please don't miss this. There are no imperatives in the entire passage until you get after the Beatitudes when he says rejoice and be glad. That's an imperative. And when he says let your light so shine. There, he's telling you what to do. But up to this point, when he gives us the Beatitudes, he is not looking at you and saying you should be more pure in heart. He is looking beside you at a new society, it's like, a, it's like a kingdom filled with people. It's a foreign land. And they all act different than we do. And he's looking at them and he's just describing them. So he's not saying to us, if you will be more pure in heart, then you will see God. If you will only learn to be more merciful, then you will obtain mercy. This is not what he is saying. What he's saying is, blessed are the people who are already these things. They didn't earn this. They didn't work on it. God made them this way. And because they are this way, they have the benefit of the second half. So, so think of it like this. If I would say, blessed are the engaged to be married, for they shall find love. That's not me telling you, you should run out and get engaged. Really, don't do that. Seriously. Not today. You should find someone first, and you should take a little while. But once you fall in love through no fault of your own, and you become engaged, you are a prime candidate for finding love. See it? I'm already in the condition, therefore the benefit is... 
It's like saying, blessed are those people who love knowledge, for they will be smart. Here's one. Blessed are the people who love their new diet, for they shall lose weight. Isn't this it? He's not... See, what happens to us is somebody says to us, or we imagine, man, i got, I got to lose weight. And so we go on a diet thinking, if I eat right, then I will lose weight. But when somebody asks us and says, so how do you like your new diet? We say, it's not bad. But the truth is, if I could eat donuts every day and still lose weight, I would eat donuts every day. You see it? Because the appetite has never changed. What Jesus is doing is he's describing people who like the new diet. He's saying there are people who are poor in spirit and they love it. (laughs) And as a result, they possess the kingdom of God. Why wouldn't they? Because the kingdom of God moves around humility. There are people that mourn, that fail, that get rejected by their spouse. They get laid off. They get passed over. Their savings dries up. They lose people in death and they mourn. They feel like they can't come to church Because church is always happy, you know? And they just got bad news. And the last thing they want, I've heard it many times, I don't want to come in and fake it, man. I just can't do that right now. And Jesus is saying, good, blessed are you, happy are you. And you say, no, I need to get over this. And Jesus is saying, no, stay in it. Happy are you while you mourn because there is a kind of comfort that only the mourning people know. Happy are you who are meek, who are shy, who are intimidated and unassertive, who go into a room and you never want to take over the room. You can't lead it. Happy are those who lack self-confidence. Isn't this absurd? Happy are those who are always longing for God. Some woman came to the altar once and she said, I I need to confess a terrible sin. And I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. I think I know where this is going. Braced myself and said, "What, what did you do? She said, tears coming down her face, I do not love God enough. I have to go, wow, this is easy. Bless you. Happy are you. As long as you do not have enough of God, you will have all the God you need. As long as you're hungry, you'll eat better than anybody in this room. And you will be full. Happy are those who are pure in heart, who are simple, naive, 
uncomplicated. Happy are those who make peace, not war. Happy are those who forgive their enemies without retaliating because they are the children of God. You know the children of God, says Jesus, not by holy war, but by holy peace. Happy are those who are merciful. Listen, who are not critical, who don't assess other people all the time and criticize them because they are the ones who are least paranoid of being assessed. They obtain mercy. (laughs) Happy are the ones who are persecuted because while you are being marginalized and pushed out and despised and passed over and ridiculed and hated and laughed at and mocked, You are in line with the prophets and nobody had it better than they did. Well, here's what I came to tell you. Jesus is right about this. Jesus is right about this. Listen to me. When he says that the poor in spirit and the meek, the timid, And the hungry and the merciful are the happiest people in the world. He's giving you the right answer. He's not telling you what you have to do in order to get into heaven. He's telling you there is a new society that actually live like this. And the people who live like this are happier than you are. That's what he's telling you. And by the way, before you just kiss this off and say, well, that's one way to do it. Remember, before he said a word, he came from the kingdom he's describing. When Jesus says they possess the kingdom of heaven, only he knows, because only he's been there. (laughs) See, we haven't. And so he's not telling us what he's cooked up. He's not telling us what he's figured out. He's telling us what is real, because he saw it with his eyes. He is bearing witness to these things. So you know how we would say today, you know, uh, if I knew then what I know now, you know how we often say this, meaning when I was younger, if I would have only known when I was younger what I know today, I would have done it differently. What Jesus is saying to you is, if you knew now what you will know then, You'll know I'm right. I am not cooking these things up. I'm not giving you some inverted value system where you have to twist your mind to try to figure this out. Jesus is saying, this is reality. Our problem in the holiness church is that we are more worried about righteousness than about happiness. As if they were two different things. As if Jesus was giving us a bill of goods that we have to do in order to receive the prize. And what he's saying in the Beatitudes, now the things you're doing are the prize. 
He is not telling you what you should believe. You can believe whatever you want. It's up to you. He's telling you what is true. This is the problem with theologians, said Dallas Willard just about six months before he died. He said they're always telling people what they should believe, and so they believe it because they're supposed to. But they don't really believe it. So he said, I tell people, follow Jesus. And if you can find a better way to live, he'd be the first person to tell you to take it. One interviewing him said, isn't that a little dangerous? Willard said, it's dangerous not to do that. Because if you don't do that, if you don't allow people to come to this conclusion themselves, Jesus is right about this. You will end up with people who honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And this is exactly what we have in church today. People who say they believe stuff because they think they have to believe it, but they do not really think Jesus is right about these things. Think about it. If he was right about these things, we would change our minds immediately. Would we not? If we thought he was right about happiness. Here's the upshot of it, people. Pray for these things. You know, two weeks ago I said to you, you should find the virtues in Jesus that you want and just say, God, give me these virtues. This is how I think we should pray. God, make me more like this. Not so I can go to heaven, but so I can be happy. This is the way to happiness. And when I leave here in a moment and everything in the world seems to deny that, I will know they're graduating the wrong answer. The right answer is the way of Jesus. Pray for these things. God, give me these things. For when you are these things, you are the light of the world. The world will follow you, not because you're right not because you're righteous or you're going to heaven and they don't want to go to hell it's because you're happy your life fits it works and when you live a life that works people sit in their own life and they notice it so it's never your argument, it's your life that is your most compelling witness. Now, there are people here this morning that are like the people in that day. Some of you are spiritually bankrupt. Some of you feel like you're not good enough for this church. Or you've got things in your life that people haven't heard and you feel inadequate or insufficient 
and some of you are shy and unassertive and others of you are still in mourning. You can't get over it and the rest of the people are saying, move on, move on, and you can't move on. And some of you are perfectionists and you beat yourself all the time thinking, I'm not good enough to be holy. I, I don't have this down. And some of you are innocent and you're naive. Oh, you're simple. <laughs> Refreshingly so, but you're so simple. Some of you give people all the breaks. I mean, people take advantage of you. And you give them way more than you should. You're not near as critical as the people around you, but you are always criticized. Some of you are this way. Some of you are constantly trying to bring people together, making peace. You know who you are. Well, what happened in Jesus' day was they all came to the hill thinking they had to change. They had to be like the religious leaders if they were going to get into heaven. And what Jesus said to them was, heaven is already in you. Those of you who feel the farthest from God, the least ready or prepared, the ones not good enough, are the kingdom of God. 